You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Vincent Price Witchfinder General gives you a scream. <laughs> Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am the abominable Adam Thomas. And I am Thomas Mariani, wondering where did Bill Hader go with that great impression that I just heard at the top of the show? He just left all of a sudden. He just did that bit and left. Like, he sought us out. It's really weird. Big fan of the show, apparently. I, I'm so stunned, yeah. We do have another guest here, a returning guest in this case, someone we haven't had on in a long time since our Quentin Tarantino episode. Um, it is Mr. Christian Alvarez. Christian, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, Tom. You guys contacted me about doing a Vincent Price episode, and I was like, hell yeah. Of course, as any of our guests usually are. <laughs> they just say, hell yeah, that's the code. Basically, come on. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, we are doing a Vincent Price episode uh, this week as we continue our October-themed spooky Halloween episodes. And um, I was very curious, Christian, uh, where did you get sort of your start with Vincent Price, and uh, how, what do you really appreciate about him as sort of a, a presence, an actor, and you know, a sort of icon of especially horror? Well, as a horror fan, uh, he's basically every horror fan's spooky godfather. There's one of two ways I was introduced to him, but they kind of mesh together, either through his narration and thriller or his appearance in one of his last movies, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, that's definitely where I would say I probably first saw him was uh, in Edward Scissorhands um, as the delightful sort of scientist character we see in flashbacks. Um, and to be fair, Tim Burton was sort of a gateway to that because also that led to uh, me discovering the Vincent short, which if you're not aware, uh. this was a short that he did back in the early 80s when he was at Disney. And it's just something where Disney was like, oh, get this weird animator kid off to some corner and he did a stop motion short. It was very much a tribute <laughs> to Vincent Price. Um, and it's a phenomenal little short. It's probably on YouTube somewhere you can find it. Um, and that, that was definitely sort of a gateway drug to Vincent Price sort of as a, as a presence. Though I will say, speaking of Disney, another one might have been um, The Great Mouse Detective. Which isn't one of my favorite Disney animated movies, but he is so great as Radigan, the evil uh, villain of that particular piece. Uh, so we definitely came in sort of at the tail end of uh, Vincent's career before he passed away. But Adam, uh, what was your first exposure to Mr. Price? Uh, man, late night movies at my grandma's house, you know. My, my grandma used to kind of just let me watch whatever I wanted. They got reference at before. Like, that's where I first saw, like, Toxic Avenger and all those really movies that I shouldn't be seeing at the age I was, but 
uh, like House on Haunted Hill, I, I think might have been the first thing I I can actually remember him in. But all the Poe movies, all that stuff, like I literally grew up watching old Vincent Price movies. And I think I've seen everything he's done for the most part. There's probably a few here and there that I haven't. But, uh, you know, as Christian alluded to, as being a, being a genre fan, a horror fan uh, specifically, it's kind of like he's a mainstay of the genre whether you are a fan of his or not you know who vincent price is but uh yeah he's just he's enigmatic and just fun to watch and you know it's just god damn it do i love vincent price god fucking damn it he is one of the most spectacular actors of his contemporaries among like christopher lee peter cushing and everything i have been watching so many movies just because of the circumstances of 2020 i've rewatched a huge majority of his filmography for that reason too uh him and the gene kelly three musketeers obviously house of wax house on a haunted hill uh mask of the red death and everything what i like about price is you mentioned sort of like him being a spooky godfather i think as a presence especially later in his career he really embraced sort of the adam westing as it were, of his, like, career. And I think that made him a really welcoming sort of um, guide through horror to a certain extent. Where you would see, like, a Vincent Price in some of these later projects he would do that would be maybe more, you know, sort of younger kid-focused. And you're like, oh, this guy's so charming and wonderful. I want to see him in other things. And that gets you to sort of, like, his Roger Corman stuff and the uh, sort of weirder, like, 70s, more brutal stuff. And even, like, as it went along, sort of him embracing the sort of cult charm that he wielded whenever he went around just he's such a welcoming inviting presence and even like i love watching old talk shows with him as well always such a charming guest to be around of course even like the muppet show when he was on there agreed he's he's fantastic and basically anything he shows up in uh since he mentioned adam west his appearance as egghead in the batman tv show is hilarious too of course yeah, and you know what it is, too? Like, Christian, you, you mentioned Cushing and Lee and stuff. And I would put Price, of course, up there as sort of like on the, if you were to a Mount Rushmore of, you know, old-timey horror actors. But the, the difference to me with Vincent Price is Vincent Price, unlike those two, was not afraid to get really hammy with it. Yes. Like, and, and intentionally, too. Like, where some of the Christopher Lee movie stuff are a little hammy, and he could be a little, like, sort of over-the-top in him and stuff. But I don't ever know that it was planned. Uh, with Vincent Price, it's clearly like, he's, I'm going to get weird with it. Like, you know, it's just, he's so good and just so goofy and silly. I think a big part of it is also the fact that, unlike those two, he was an American actor. Like, he was uh, born and raised in St. Louis, and I believe he had, like, um, English parents, so that's why he kind of has that weird mid-Atlantic accent. Um, but I think that's also part of, like, why he was sort of, like, a, a bit more, like, blue-collar in terms of coming up in the theater scene. Like, he wasn't Shakespearean trained, necessarily. But that doesn't mean he couldn't necessarily done it. It's just a factor of, like, I think he sort of embraced being a bit more hammy, knowing that, like, oh, this is so silly we're doing, you know, over-the-top things. And that image has lasted for so long, even after he died in 93, you know, stuff like... I think a big thing that sort of resurged popularity with younger people was, as I kind of referenced, really, like, the Bill Hader impressions in SNL which those sketches are still so goddamn funny, like when he'd have the fucking Vincent Price <laughs> <laughs> Halloween special, remember, like him and, like, Kristen Wiig as Judy Garland and John Hamm <laughs> as John F. Kennedy and shit like that. So fucking funny. And I think that his presence is enough. And even as Christian mentioned, Thriller 
is still like such a mainstay of Halloween to this day. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And I just, you know, it, it's so funny too. Like literally uh, today when I came home from the store, I was like, you know, told my dot to put on like eighties pop music just while I was cleaning and stuff. And thriller was the first song that played. And I'm like, this is fucking serendipitous. This is amazing. Yeah, dude, you just hear his voice and you're just, it's so unmistakable who it is. Like, there's no one else like Vincent Price. Yes, and we'll uh, be covering two films that he was in tonight. Um, if you're new to the show, basically every week um, at the end of an episode, Adam and I pick randomly a good and a bad feature for whatever topic we're doing. Um, in the case of last week when we picked our movies for this evening, I had the two bad picks, Adam had the two good picks. And so from uh, my two bad picks, the first one we'll be discussing, we'll be doing From a Whisper to a Scream which came out later in Vincent's career. And then uh, we'll be talking about the good pick, which was from the 60s that Adam had, which was Witchfinder General. So uh, let's go ahead and do uh, From a Whisper to a Scream. Welcome to Oldfield. Oldfield has a long history of violence and murder. It's as though the very foundation of this place was human suffering. I'm too old for nightmares. One thing I've learned, my dear, is that one is never too old for nightmares. For Vincent Price, Susan Terrell, Cameron Mitchell, the eyes of Oldfield are upon them. How do you stay away from it? How do you know that I did? From a whisper to a scream. So, uh, From a Whisper to a Scream came out September 4th, 1987. Like I mentioned, very late. In uh, Mr. Price's career, this would be only about five or so years before his passing. You know, with having the task of doing a bad movie for Vincent Price was pretty difficult. But um, my choices were pretty wide open in terms of bad horror anthologies where he would appear as a sort of ghost host type of thing. That's what he filled up a lot of his later career with. And uh, this definitely fits that bill. It, it does something. Yeah, which is oddly that we've gotten back to talking about Jeff Burr on this show again. Uh, <laughs> which we should explain. Um, we did previously an episode on Full Moon Features, and we have a couple of graduates from Full Moon Features here uh, who actually, uh, this is the first project for Jeff Burr, who would later go on to do not just like the, a couple of Puppet Master movies, but also a lot of direct-to-video sequels, like the second Pumpkinhead, Stepfather 2. Um, <laughs> maybe something we'll talk about later i don't know maybe something that might come up another sequel and so along with burr obviously being the director he also collaborated with a couple of other people who graduated from university of southern california um including darren scott who would go on to be the main sort of co-collaborator um on the tales from the hood movies all three of them including the one that just came out recently and c courtney joiner who would also write a bunch of full moon movies including both the ones that we covered on our full moon episode um so it's a lot of people who were just getting their start and were on their way to mediocrity <laughs> Medi sure yes mediocrity is the better term yes for sure uh but christian um we tasked you to watch this anthology film and we'll go through the various different segments i think as we uh go along here um and you had no idea what this was and um, were you regretful of this experience of watching it? I found it really interesting because this is one that I'd never heard of. And for what it is, I'm just like, this is just something that was like lost to time that everyone was like digging through warehouses. Just like, oh, we found this tape. Who's in this? Oh, let's get it for the horror fans then. Yeah, and not clean it up at all, because even on Amazon Prime, which is how I watched it, um, it is very much a straight-from-VHS rip of this movie. Which, to be fair, I don't know if you would want to see this in HD. 
This doesn't necessarily um, need a 4K restoration <laughs> by any stretch. So the basic tenet of it is, uh, is this is a horror anthology, um, and it starts off with a public execution of this woman, Catherine White. Um, who is being executed by by Lawrence Tyranny, one of many examples of, like, out-of-work character actors who needed a paycheck in this movie. Susan Tyrell plays this woman who's a journalist who decides to find the uncle who raised this woman who was recently executed. Um, Julian White is played by Vincent Price, who um, decides to elaborate on why um, his niece was sort of a victim of the sort of curse that has affected this town of Oldfield, and he will exemplify that with four tales that will explain all the weirdness here in Oldfield, as it were. Um, and I gotta say, even though he's clearly, Mr. Price is very frail in this movie, he is uh, very clearly very old. It's not too far from, like I said, an Edward Scissorhands, where he's similarly kind of frail, but in that movie, and in this one even, um, he gives what he can, and it's uh, one of the, at least more consistent things in the movie is his presence whenever he pops up. Yeah, man. I mean, he's he's trying, at least. He's giving this material maybe a little bit better of a performance than it even deserves. But yeah, he's he's going for it. Yeah, unlike I would say some of the other character actors who are clearly here for the paycheck, he's at least earning his paycheck to a certain degree. Like, I would say particularly there's a bit where um, Susan Tyrell references, like, oh, this place is, like, full of all, all sorts of horrible, unseemly violence. And Vincent Price, like, stands up, he's like, unseemly violence? Of course, let me tell you these tales. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of into this now. <laughs> like, something's awake, finally. Um, and I also love the fact that apparently Vincent Price was convinced to do this movie by Jeff Burr literally going to Vincent's house with a bottle of wine and giving him the script in person. And I guess it's only his scenes that he got because he later said he regretted doing this because uh, if you consider the other stories that happen in this um, around the framing device he's in, um, I don't know if he'd agree to it given uh, this movie tries to go sort of like extreme and sort of like the weird taboos it's just trying to touch on with its other stories. Um, and I don't think Vincent would have probably agreed to that if he knew the extent of some of these stories and their weird twists and turns. <laughs> Yeah, no, probably not. I mean, that's one thing. Let's just get it out in the open uh, right off the bat. This movie is a mean movie. Vile and brutal and just really, really vindictive and mean-spirited. Unfortunately, that's what more or less made it a non-enjoyable watch because all the staples are really there. Like I said, you have Vincent Price giving a decent performance in a not-the-worst anthology movie i've ever seen and most anthology movies at least from this time period filled with sort of actors where may have seen better days or they're just doing it for paychecks and things like that that's all that's kind of common in these sort of movies of this era and i have seen more poorly produced ones uh but this one is just so fucking mean and vile this is one of those where it's like how did this even get greenlit like i don't understand well, I could see why it might have gotten greenlit in terms of, like, it's a cheap horror anthology where they have, like, a couple names they could sell on, like, a video box. Like, they weren't planning on this being a big theatrical thing. Like, this isn't going to be creep show, but it'll be something that'll be, like, on a video store shelf and people will gravitate toward just because of some of the people involved. And, you know, I agree that it's very vindictive and kind of mean, and that's not necessarily a deal breaker for me with a horror movie. It just depends on if you have a purpose and the trouble is just that most of these stories do not have any kind of conceivable purpose. It's like, we'll be mean, and we'll think about the story secondary, and 
they don't really think about the story. Like, a lot of these just end on a weird twist note or don't really end at all. <laughs> My main outlook when I was watching this, I was like, this was produced for, like, Showtime or USA Network when they just needed to fill time. But let's go ahead and at least uh, go at least segment by segment briefly. Um, the first segment we have is called Stanley. And it's in reference to the titular Stanley played by Clue Gulliger, another example of a horror character actor popping up here, um, who um, is an older man that is taking care of his vaguely invalid sister, I guess. Like, we don't really establish what the problem is that she has, but basically he's taking care of her this whole time. Um, but he has this, the hots for his boss, Grace, and he really um, has, like, all sorts of fancies about wanting to have sex with her. And they go on a date briefly that's more of, like, her humoring him, and he gets a bit too handsy to the point where he ends up murdering her. And he just uh, ends up leaving the body out in the middle of nowhere. And um, later on encounters the corpse as it's being laid to rest. And then later there's a really dumb fucking twist. Yeah. This is my least favorite one, by the way. I really hated this one. <laughs> well, I okay, let's put it this way. This might be my least favorite one as well. I, I do think Clue Gel- Gulliger is kind of, like, I didn't even realize it was him. But with the big glasses and the sort of slick back hair and everything, I didn't even recognize him. And it's not, he didn't sound like Clue Gulliver's normal voice to me for some reason. Uh, it also could be the just atrocious video quality of the movie itself. True. This one is absolutely just, it's gross, it's weird, but it's fucking kind of crazy. Like, it's wild. Like, I know the twist is really stupid, but it's wild. Like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Like, it's just, it's so batshit off the wall, but yet so uninspired at the same time to where it's, I, I don't, I don't hate it, but it is my least favorite segment. But still, I'm like, okay, I can deal with it, I guess. I, that's not necessarily high praise. Put it on the Blu-ray, though. <laughs> I... <laughs> Adam Thomas, double H, double I can deal with it. Uh, but but what about you, Christian? What was your stance on Stanley? It just goes so off the rails, and I'm a huge fan of Clue Gulliger. Like I love him in Return of the Living Dead, Nightmare on Elm Street too. But mm-hmm. it's like you can kind of see that it's him after a few minutes, and then you're like, oh wait, that's him. The premise just is very shaky to begin with, and then as it goes on, it gets more and more awkward. Not to mention that uh, his uh, invalid sister is his real-life wife, and how they're basically just like, oh, I fucking hate being around you. It's, it just doesn't set up for something that, like, oh, this is like, you know, a Tales of the Crypt episode or anything like that. This is just, nah, like, we're just going to be, like, as mean and shitty as possible. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think it's because this is, like, the meanest segment, I would say, because it has all these themes of, like, sexual assault and eventually necrophilia, because that's what he does to have sex with the corpse of Grace, which is also, it's not as clearly intimated, so then when the twist comes in that he's being chased around by a monster, which is so last second, it's like all of a sudden there's a monster in, like, the last minute of the segment, (laughs) and it turns out it's his weird bastard corpse child with the corpse of Grace who says daddy, and then attacks him. Like, that's the big thing. It's just, like, most of the segment is just a lot of these, like, back and forth between Clue Gallagher, who I think is all right in the segment. I, I would definitely agree he's um, at least giving something to it. Um, but it's either him sexually assaulting Grace or being so mean to his sister, eventually killing her, 
in this uh, really messed up scene um, that's also weirdly sexually exploitative with the way that she's naked at that point. Um, the only joy I found in this segment really is there's a really unintentionally funny scene where he's at his work and they announce that Grace has been killed and his one buddy that comes over to him and is like, hey man, can you believe that happened? And Clue Gallagher's like, yeah, I, I just, it's so weird. Hey, you have some scratches on your face, where'd that come from? And he just awkwardly stands there. <laughs> and it's like a solid <laughs> minute long of these two just staring at each other, like awkwardly just standing around. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. This is like clearly filling up time. Um, and then, yeah, it just, it's, it's mean and it doesn't feel like it has even as much of a purpose despite having at least a basic structure, which is something I can't even say of like the other segments. Some of them don't have even a basic structural integrity to them. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, real quick though. I don't know that it was implied. I, I think it's pretty straightforward that he 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 banged the corpse. I mean, like, <laughs> he, he takes the shirt down and then it goes black. Like it, it's it's pretty obvious, I think. For me, I just didn't know that the segment was going to go to that particular place, and I don't think like it illustrated that quite as well to me because Clue Gallagher seems like a piece of shit, but not necessarily like a necrophiliac at that point. And then like that happens, and I had to like go back. It's like oh wait, I have to like kind of put this together a bit more. I mean, maybe it was just me being disinterested at that point in the story. But whatever. Point is, I didn't like this one. But let's go to another one I didn't like, uh, which is called On the Run. <laughs> Stars Terry Kaiser, of course, of Weekend at Bernie's fame, Mr. Bernie himself, as this guy who um, was basically involved in some sort of, like, robbery, and he gets chased down by uh, some other co-conspirators, and he leaves his home, and then ends up on a riverboat and runs into a mysterious voodoo man who's in town um and he wants to learn the secrets of voodoo from this guy and he won't actually reveal them in quick succession so terry kaiser as the jesse character ends up uh, trying to murder this guy by drowning him in the lake um it's full of mud but then he goes back to the house and he's like oh i don't know how to actually do anything because i killed the one guy who knows all this bullshit but then that guy comes back anyway and he was covered in mud but he's not dead or anything he's just covered in mud and he comes back he seeks his revenge by turning Terry Kaiser into this body that won't die no matter how much horrible stuff happens to him. The climax of this is another just like so mean and awful, <laughs> but it's, it's, this might be my uh, least favorite one because it's, it's to me, it's kind of the most boring. Yeah. It just kind of drags on at points and it's just kind of like, okay, like, can something happen? Bernie having, like, been saved by, you know, this basically voodoo priest. He just keeps on saying, like, well, what, do you, what else are you going to do for me? Are you going to give me this huge, like, cool other power? No, yeah, it feels definitely like there isn't much quite going on with this story whatsoever. Um, I mean, I, I would agree. It's not that far off from saying, like, spoilers. Not any of these are too far off in terms of terrible quality for me. <laughs> like, there's only one that I would say is kind of a bit better, and we'll get to that in a second. But um, I just feel it's also weird to structure. Like I mentioned, there's the whole point where it seems like he murdered the voodoo priest guy, but then the voodoo priest guy comes back covered in mud, and you're like, oh, is he a monster now? It's like, no, he's just fine. He just got covered in mud. And it's like, oh. And then he gets his revenge on him with, I think the, I'll at least say the concept of the ending bit that happens to our main character is the least interesting, where he gets, like, um, chopped up horribly, and he's still alive, and even to the point where he's in the hospital, it's like, oh no, he's got, like, perfect vital signs, and it's all good, but uh, he should have died at some point, so it's like, he'll live another 80 or so years just as this, like, corpse that can't be killed, but he'll feel all this pain. I think that was kind of interesting, but it's also just a problem, like, you didn't really establish much with this guy to make us feel like, oh, he really earned this. So do we 
think this might be a prequel to Weekend at Bernie's then? <laughs> I mean, Bernie got some really good prosthetic surgery then after he like lost all of his limbs and shit. Yeah, whatever. He was a, he did coke too. <laughs> so I mean, just who knows? Uh, but our next segment is Lovecraft's Traveling Amusements, um, and this one revolves around um, our protagonist, uh, who is a guy that works at this carnival. Uh, he's one of those guys that like eats a lot of different stuff, like nuts and bolts and glass and other stuff, and he wants to run away with his girlfriend, but he is under contract by the Snake Woman, played by Rosalind Cash, who is very much like, oh, okay, you know what, you, you want to run off from me? Don't you, I own you, you're not going to be able to do anything, or else I'm going to curse you. And he's like, whatever, I gotta leave, he eventually escapes with his girlfriend, and they go off to a hotel, and it's like, oh, we're finally free. But then um, all the stuff that he's eaten starts coming out of his skin, and he's super worried about it. And um, eventually he explodes inside this hotel room, and then his girlfriend ends up being taken in by the snake woman, and um, put on display. I think this one is weirdly my favorite segment, but it's only because of like some of the actual gore effects and some of like the concepts of it. The biggest trouble is just that like, this doesn't fit in with like the Tales from the Crypt morality play because this couple does not feel like they really deserve these horrible fates that happened to them. And the segment just kind of ends with like, well, they're fucked. <laughs> Next segment. I also think this is probably my favorite one too because of, if anything, just what ultimately happens to the glass eater it's so graphic and over the top there is no morality play here it's just yeah you tried to get a better life and because you met someone fell in love fuck you and that's kind of it yeah this one it's it's probably the most interesting but i'm also like probably because this one has the most production like budget wise to recreate like a circus sideshow and everything because, like, Stanley takes place basically majority in, like, next to a taco truck and stuff. And uh, Weekend in the Swamp at Bernie's is basically just in a shack. This one, they actually do try to set up a carnival, like, sideshow and everything. But, yeah, at the end, it's just like, oh, you're trying to get away from Rosalind Cash. No. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, it feels like it's the least like, structurally integral story, but still at least more interesting just because like these other ones that have maybe a better structure just aren't nearly that interesting um, at least i will say there's also the, there's an earlier bit where i kind of didn't say this in my plot synopsis but like where they're like making out the couple and that's where you start to see like stuff like happen to him in terms of stuff coming out of the skin and i like the effect a lot of seeing like the screws coming out of his like fingertips i thought that in particular was like oh that really like that feels gruesome that's at least like we mentioned it has the biggest production value of any of these segments, so I think therefore that makes it by default better than the rest. Which is still not saying anything at all. <laughs> but we should, I guess, move on to the final story here, which is Four Soldiers, uh, which stars Cameron Mitchell, who's another veteran of I'm a character actor who really needs money. And I'll at least give that, unlike a lot of his other movies that he was doing around this time, he stands up most of the time in this one. Um, if you are maybe at all aware of Cameron Mitchell, uh, he spends most of his movies, like, in a seat firmly placed down because he doesn't want to get up because he's an old man who doesn't give a shit about the stupid low budget movie but he stands up a few times in this one which is a civil war era uh, segment um where he basically um kills one of his uh, compatriots or leaves him to die at a certain point um and he comes across shelter because uh, he's a union soldier and he comes across this uh, shack full of children of confederate soldiers who are, it turns out, sort of like children of the corny, have like a cult 
of some sort that um, makes them um, sort of compelled to find these soldiers and uh, you know it, it's implied like they're cannibals and they play with the body parts and stuff like that and uh, yeah Cameron Mitchell gets like screwed over um, because he's an awful piece of shit who kills a kid and uh, that's the segment basically yeah wasn't this just a lovely segment I mean it just fills you with so much hope and the heart swells uh, and no, no, this is just awful shit. I mean, again, it's just awful, uh, stereotypical, cliche shit. Like, how many times have we seen the bones of the story done? I mean, it's been done over and over and over and over. Well, apparently, you know, I was giving this movie a little bit more credit than I think I deserves earlier. Because <laughs> this isn't very good either at all. I mean, there is some good gore effects in this, too. And it is quite shocking that he, you know, kills a child. Like, that's always like, oh, fuck. But... Yeah, uh, uh, uh. it's another one where it has a shocking element but to like what end what are we actually yeah. saying at all with this segment and it's like not really much of anything especially like you can tell how sort of brain dead it is about anything where it's like oh our villain is a union soldier like and it's the horrors of him killing these confederate soldiers and leaving them like without you know these kids without any parents so it's like so what are we saying yeah. <laughs> what are we saying <laughs> It feels really rad. No, Christian, how'd you feel about this lovely segment? It's such a basic premise, like, you know, whether it's, you know, Lord of the Flies, you know, Children of the Damned, Village of the Damned, and whatever. It always just, like, seems to kind of play out this way. And I'm, I was just like, eh, like, you know, having notable character actor as uh, Cameron Mitchell, it's just like, yeah, like, he's he's basically there just trying to, like, save up for redoing his patio or whatever. Yeah, this is just kind of another one that just, like, drags a little bit too much, and then, like, when he finally kills the kid, that's when it's finally like, oh, yeah, this is happening. <laughs> and then it's just, yeah, as soon as you see the town magistrate, it's just kind of like, oh, well. Yeah, and it, like, especially when I was, like, at the end of this, I just kept wondering, like, if you had heard Vincent Price tell you these stories, like, would that make them any better? Oh, with the story of Stanley, the man who desecrated a corpse and had a weird corpse baby. Even his voice wouldn't make any of this interesting. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd watch Vincent Price narrate the phone book, and after watching this, I'm pretty much like, uh, is there any way, like, we could have watched that instead? But then again, the phone book doesn't have necrophilia, I would hope. I haven't had yeah. the phone book in a while. Maybe they're trying to get kids to read the phone book these days. I don't know what's happening. You, you definitely get what you expect this movie to be. I, I mean, I don't think there's any question in that. Like, from the cover art, from who's involved, as far as even the production crew, and like that. If you go into watching this expecting a fucking like a barn burner of a movie, well then you're going to get very disappointed. This movie is exactly sort of what it set out to be, and unfortunately, it is one of actually I think it is Vincent Price's last performance in an all-out horror film. Yes, it was his last performance in an all-out horror movie. Um, just to put a punctuation point on that. Uh, wah. Fuck you, Jeff Burr. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, oh. I still, like, am holding on to the fact that he was in the Paris Haunted Mansion after this. So I'm just like, no, that's Vincent Price's last last horror thing. Let's let's push Rebel Whisper to scream aside. Something like Edward Scissorhands, which is his last sort of, like, actual performance, at least feels a bit more, like, horror-tinged in a way that still, like, feels like a good send-off for him. Um, so, yeah, we'll just say that one's his last horror movie. Sure, it's a Frankenstein story. Sure. Yeah. Agreed. Does anyone have any last thoughts on the stupid movie before we get to the good one? <laughs> no. 
I mean, if you're a Vincent Price completionist or a horror anthology completionist, then, you know, check it out. But other than that, I, I don't think there's much merit to it at all. I'm like, if you want to have something on in the background, but you don't really want to have to pay attention to anything, you can have this playing. No, yeah, we've covered worst horror anthologies on the show. We did Hood of Horror, Christian, for our horror anthology episode last year, which may be one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever fucking seen. And this isn't that bad, necessarily. Um, but also, yeah, I would agree that if you were to, say, put this on the background and you only pay attention when, like, Vincent Price comes on in between segments, you might enjoy it, even down to his last scene where Susan Tyrell stabs him in the neck. And he's like, welcome to Oldfield. And he, he pulls up a bit of the ham that we love seeing him do. Um, but, but yeah, otherwise it's, uh, it's a pretty forgettable bad one. And let's get to our good one just a moment. But first, here's a promo for an ESO show you can queue up right after hours. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. And we're here on the station surviving the coronavirus. Since you guys are probably quarantined there down on earth, I'll let you know, uh, we got DC news, comics, television shows we're going to be talking about every week. Come join us every week on the Earth Station DCU podcast here on the ESO Network. And so now we're on to Witchfinder General. With the tranquility of rural England shattered by civil war, evil was spawned at a time of strife in the land. Take him, Stern. Look for the devil's marks upon him. Pounding the innocent in violence and terror, this evil man showed no mercy in the pursuit and interrogation of his victims. My motive in coming here was to find the truth. Vincent Price is the Witchfinder General. So Witchfinder General came out in uh, 1968. So to put in perspective, this is sort of, I would say, in sort of the prime of his career, especially working with American International Pictures, which was the same company that he did a lot of the Roger Corman, sort of Edgar Allan Poe adaptations with. And um, I think it's important that we kind of got the other movie out of the way. One, because that's sort of like the better exhibition of like the traditional Vincent Price, I guess you would say. In terms of From Whisper to a Scream is clearly trying to make him like, oh, he's kind of like over the top and hammy and traditional Vincent Price, even at a bad level and a bad movie. That's at least what it's trying to strive for. And by uh, comparison, Witchfinder General um, is about as opposite from that as you could be, but I would say in a good way, because uh, this movie isn't fun. Like, oh, Vincent Price, horror host, here to share a spooky tale with you. Uh, this movie's bleak and rough. <laughs> And, like, to the point where I was telling Adam before this, like, I had to chase this with the Vincent Price Muppet Show episode just because I'm like, God damn, I need something to uplift me a bit (laughs) after (laughs) this great but very unpleasant movie. Um, But this was your choice, Adam, so uh, go ahead and explain a bit why you decided to pick this one. Uh, Well, I think you sort of just hit the nail on the head. I picked it, A, because it is very much a subdued Vincent Price performance. I mean, and he's... You know, he's, of course, the villain in it, but hes it's not the typical Vincent Price mustache-twirling sort of villain role. He's he is really, really fucking good in it. And I picked it because of how bleak it is. I mean, this is a bleak, depressing movie. And it's one that I, especially in Vincent Price's catalog, that I don't think gets enough attention, man. Like, it, it's really, really good. And it's not silly, and it's not campy, and it's not hokey, and it's just dark and disturbing. And, and is it horror? In a way, because of what's happening on screen, but it's more of like a period sort of thriller-ish 
revenge movie. Like it, it's just, it's a bunch of things all in one. And I, I think it sort of succeeds on every level. Yeah, I would definitely argue it's horrifying at the very least. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that a bit. Uh, but Christian, had you seen this before? I hadn't seen this before. I'd always seen pictures of Vincent Price as Matthew Hopkins, but uh, this is one that I've just missed for, for the most part. But yeah, this is a brutal, brutal movie. The movie starts off with them hanging a witch and everything, and it's just, oh my god, like, it, it does not go anywhere near uplifting for, like, the hour and a half that this goes on. No, yeah, but what I find so interesting about it is the fact that I agree it isn't uplifting, but I think it's in a way that feels sort of ahead of its time and even better than most other, like, witch movies. We haven't talked about witch movies that much on the show, but um, I, it's always sort of weird, especially when they bring in sort of like the Salem Witch Trials kind of element of it, where around this time, even though this is, takes place in England, and people have kind of taken a lot of the imagery of the Salem Witch Trials and similar events and sort of put it as like, oh, like sometimes they like come back afterward and they have like seek their revenge and all this other crap in a more like hokey, fun way. And this is one of the few movies where I would argue like when it comes to quote-unquote actual witches and witch trials actually kind of treating the material as it should really be treated from a historical context which is this is upsetting and disturbing agreed yeah yeah just seeing the way how the amount of torture that like they put people through for the confessions and everything seeing them being like it's i mean that's everything that you know witch trials are painted to be historically now and just the fact that Vincent Price's character, you know, Hopkins is basically, you know, he's he's obviously a fraud. I mean, in every single way where, you know, like even what he does with the priest where, you know, I won't because he's getting that good, good or whatever the fuck. And then he finds out what's going on there and he kills the priest now anyways, just because that the chick won't be with them anymore. It, it's just. It's really fucking just gross all over the place. Just the idea of what it is. Uh, no, it's so dark and depressing and just awful, awful when you think about what these people went through. I mean, even the point where, like, I'm going to put this hot brand on your back, and if you cry or pass out, that that way we know it's the devil talking through you in order to make us stop. What the fuck does that mean? Like, how the fuck? That is a no-win situation, if I've ever heard of one. It's just really fucked up. But that being said, how dope is Vincent Price's costume? Like, he is fucking styling and profiling. Yeah, the costuming is great in this. Like, from that era, I can't really think of him, like, not looking like his best. But this one, I was just like, yeah, he's totally in period. And it, it looks perfect. Yeah, and it was interesting because around the time um, this was being made, uh, Michael Reeves was the director. And he had had a big tumultuous relationship with Price because uh, Price was not his first choice. It was originally going to be Donald Pleasance, I believe, was supposed to be the main part, and he wanted to kind of have a bit more of, like, a ridiculousness to the character in terms of, like, oh, he's, like, full of himself and he's a buffoon. He wouldn't, he isn't really, like, as intimidating as he should be as, as Vincent Price portrays him in the movie, and there was a big, like, clash between him and Price on the set. But I think that honestly really works his adventure because Price has that sort of like, one, he's so tall. Like he's at least like a foot taller than anybody else in the movie. Um, he has this like weird domineering appearance that makes him have authority. But at the same time, he's so terrifying with how he wields that authority. With Like you mentioned, all the scenes where he's taking like the priest character and some of the other people who he's accusing of being a witch off and like tortures them and has them like, 
if you float, um, it'll turn out that you're like a son of Satan. And if you don't, well, it'll mean that you were innocent this whole time. It's just the only way we can prove it. It's so upsetting and it's so disturbing, but in a way that it feels like more of these witch trial movies should really exemplify. And it feels like even to this day, like the only one I could think of that kind of approaches that is The Witch. And even then it has more of like a supernatural ending to some degree. I think it sort of stands alone as sort of a quote-unquote witch movie that actually exemplifies, like, the reality of, like, no, this was a horrible thing people were, like, accusing people of just because of, like, weird sexist reasons that they could, and they had the authority to do it just because it was sort of like the lay of the land had no sort of barriers for them. There was really nobody trying to stop them from doing any of this stuff, and it's upsetting, but in a way that feels like this is cruel with a purpose, unlike, you know, our previous feature. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Absolutely cruelty with a purpose and everything from a historical context. This is this is how it was. Obviously, Vincent Price does play play a very domineering figure. And this is still kind of around the era where it was uh, he was starting to do Batman of the Roger Corman like, Poe adaptations. And this is I'm like, this is probably his most brutal. I would argue it's his best performance from what I've seen, at least because Keep in mind, I love a lot of like his um, his more campy performances and stuff like that. But I would say this is sort of his best actual performance, just in terms of how much like whenever he enters a room, you just have this chill that goes down your spine that you normally wouldn't have with other movies. And you see how like he doesn't he has all of his like Tonys do the dirty work, but he has such this influence that it really upsets you when like he ends up putting stuff into motion, like the scene where that one woman gets burned. Yes. is, like, one of the most upsetting things I've ever seen in a movie. And this is, like, I said, 68. So it's like, this is hardcore yeah. even for, like, what, at this point, uh, 50 years ago plus? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I, this is my favorite uh, Vincent Price performance as well. You alluded to some earlier, Thomas, how like, the movies that actually show how just fucking crazy sort of the era of the witch accusations and things were. Like, yeah, there's this one and, what, like, maybe uh, The Crucible, and things like that that I could think of that didn't go into the paranormal aspect of it, just the awful sort of absurdity of it. And uh, yeah, this it, this is a very, very difficult sort of watch. Like, I, again, I don't know that I would put this as straight horror, but if you are a Vincent Price fan, I mean, and you haven't seen, you know, Witchfinder General, then you got to watch it. And, and to go back to the Donald Pleasance idea, do I think Donald Pleasance would have been fine in it? Sure, he's Donald Pleasance. I mean. He's great, but I think you would have definitely got the more hammy sort of Donald Pleasant, you know, six times Donald Pleasant <laughs> over, you know, Vincent Price, who was so toned down in this. And he's just monotone voice the whole time. And he has almost that regal sort of silhouette to him, even like even like a like he looks like goddamn Darth Vader walking in the fucking room. You know, with the flowing cape and the hat and everything. Like, he's terrifying. He's absolutely terrifying in this without saying a lot. The idea of Donald Pleasance being in this, it is a little bit more like, oh, this probably would have ended up a little bit closer to, like, Monty Python's Spanish Inquisition than anything. Just because, like, that's kind of the way how Donald Pleasance acts. I'd compare uh, Vincent Price in Witchfinder General to uh, his... Prince Prospero in Mask of the Red Death, but what's missing from Mask of the Red Death that isn't in here is like, oh, in Mask of the Red Death, he has like a courtroom full of like gestures and everything to kind of add a little bit of levity to the brutality. And this movie is just no, like there's no, there's nothing to take away from this. This is just 
straight up brutality and you see Matthew Hopkins just kind of relishing in his power and the fact that he's able to get away with everything. Right, and this was also so kind of like loosely based on Matthew Hopkins was a real person that at least was like a witch finder that would do a lot of these things where like it would persecute and execute quote-unquote witches. But I think what sort of like adds to, why I would say this is more like horror, even though it's like historically based, there's no supernatural element. It kind of has a lot of these things that you would see, especially a lot of like 60s era movies like this, with like, there's a couple who we haven't really mentioned that much, with uh, Ian Ogilvie, who plays a guy that is part of the British military at this time, um, and his lover, Hilary Dwyer, who in like any other movie would be like the part that you want to skip past, where it's just like, okay, yeah, they're young lovers, and it's supposed to be like, oh, how wonderful that they're together at a certain point. And this movie just puts them through so much hell. Like, she has to do so much to try and save that priest character. Um, it's a, like, have sex with Vincent Price, and then he ends up screwing her over, and she gets horribly tortured. Yep, she also gets raped by Vincent Price's like sort of lieutenant. And, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's creepy. I feel dirty. But then, you know, with Ian, like you said, with Ian Ogleville, what he goes through, too, you know, at the end, he's gone insane. He gets his happy ending in that, oh, he kills Vincent Price, except he doesn't quite because his other compatriots kill him initially, like, with the final blow. And he just screams, like, you took him away from me. So it's like, oh, you live in your... Like, lover lives, but um, you're not going to be able to recover from this. It's like the worst experience anyone could ever have. Yeah, he's lost his shit, dude. Like, it's over. It's over for that couple. Like, there's no comeback. And it ends that way. The movie fucking basically ends like that. You're yep. screaming. Him screaming, you took him from me. And then, da da da, credits swell. And you're like, <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, now I get why you went. You know, I understand the, why you went and watched The Muppets after this. <laughs> I need Kermit turning into a vampire and buying Vincent Price to, like, cheer me up. It's also a big credit to Michael Reeves, who we should point out was only 25 when he made this, and he died just a few months after this from, like, an alcohol and barbiturate overdose, which is insane this movie's made by a 25-year-old, because it feels like it has so much of, like, the class of, like, a sort of British, almost hammer movie of this era, but it's that weird sort of, like, attention to period detail mixed with the brutality that's going on that makes it feel so all-encompassing it's a it's a really well put together movie too when you see horrible things happen it feels all the more real because you feel like oh i'm transported to like this era of england yeah i was not aware that he was only 25 years old that is absolutely you know just mind-blowing to me because there's movies from this era made by you know people who are established and they're just garbage or there's movies made by jeff burr that just don't work (laughs) (laughs) and this one I mean, yeah, this movie looks great. I love the final like sort of framing of the shot with Vincent Price and his people taking them to the castle and then the soldiers going up to the castle, just the whole silhouette of that. It, it's pretty spectacular. This definitely has like the look and feel to like the the same era of like Hammer movies and the uh, Roger Corman, like Edgar Allan Poe stuff. So it's mind-blowing that this is directed by a 25-year-old. The setting looks great. The costuming is, like, on point and everything. Thomas, you went to a lot of the, like, Muppets, Vincent Price episode. I went to just, like, watch, like, the Simpsons, like, Vincent Price sketches that they've done over the years. And I'm just like, yeah, definitely need something to kind of, as kind of like a a little bit of a cheery cl- palate cleanser. Oh, yeah, like the Super Bowl episode where they did, like, the egg painting thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
If you're looking for the replacement feet, my grandson Jody will bring them to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll go into final thoughts here, I guess, uh, with uh, Witchfinder General. Uh, Adam, what are your final thoughts on Witchfinder General? It's so good. Such a just fantastic performance from Vincent Price that I, I do think is sort of unmatched in any of his other works. It's dark. It's scary in the way that you you see what sort of man's inhumanity towards man what it can produce and just sort of what the the connotations of something like religion when mistreated, uh, what it can produce. Dark and disturbing in that aspect in every way. And it's sort of fucking relentless in, in its execution. It is an hour to 25 minutes long, but it's an hour and 25 minutes that's going to take, you know, a week and two days to sort of shake. It's just really, really sort of a special movie in in every way. It's definitely going to make you feel something. It's definitely going to stick with you. But it's also just a brilliant time capsule of sort of Vincent Price and the ability that he did have that he maybe didn't get a chance to show as much as maybe he would have liked, if not even I would have liked. Uh, so, yeah, this is definitely one of my ultimate favorites of Vincent Price. Christian, your final thoughts? This is easily Vincent Price at his most villainous. There's nothing in this that's like, oh, yeah, this goes a little over the top. Like, ha, ha, ha. No, this is just sheer brutality from a historical standpoint, since this is covering stuff that happened during the English Civil War. It's just, it makes it that much more bleak. Such a brutal ending, and it's like, yeah, there's no coming back from this. It, this might not have been considered an outright horror, but yeah, it's it's a horrific movie to watch. This is definitely one for the Halloween season. Definitely not one if you kind of want a fun, traditional Vincent Price movie. Um, that's, yes, that's no. A big thing. Like, go to a Roger Corman one or something like that, like, if you want, like, a bit of spirited fun. Go for Dr. Vibes. Go Theater of Blood. Right, for sure. Those, as opposed to with uh, Witchfinder General, this is very brutal in a way where, like, it doesn't technically, I guess, fit some of the parameters of horror, even though there's a lot of gore and it's all horrific. I think it's, it's like we mentioned, a phenomenal turn from Price. And I love he has all this demeanor, pomp and circumstance, but at the same time, outwardly brutal things he puts off to his lackeys. Like, we haven't mentioned much about him, but Rupert Davies as John Lowe, yes. I think, is a phenomenal sort of, like, toady for him. And they both have this contentious relationship where it's like they only really are invested in each other enough to save their own skins, basically. But one is more invested for the muscle, one's more invested for, like, being able to do these under the guise of the law. I, I really like their relationship. And I think that's the thing. It has, like, a lot of, like, interesting, heady concepts in a lot of your average Vincent Price movies around this time. But at the same time, it is still, like, really brutal, really horrific. And I will say, the final shot that Adam mentioned, where you have Hilary Dreyer just, like, screaming in terror and it, like, echoes through the castle, that's enough to make it a horror movie for me. Because that shit will not be something I can, like, shake off anytime soon. It's really brutal, really uncomfortable, but with a purpose in a way that's like I would recommend to anybody willing to stomach it. Um, so on that note, that's the end of our lovely double feature where we had so much fun, so uplifting, so charming. Um, but we do have, before we get to our picking for next week, some charming feedback to read. For those of you who don't know, over on at DEDBpod 
on Facebook and Twitter. Every Monday I share a feeler about like, hey, what are your favorite or least favorite things related to whatever topic we're doing? And, uh, so we put that feeler out there and asked you all about Vincent Price. And James Rodriguez says, uh, love his work in 1959's House on Haunted Hill and Witchfinder General, despite not being the director's most wanted choice. Um, and then Bill Gabriel says, uh, favorites, Theater of Blood and The Incredible uh, Dr. Fibes, uh, though there are no bad Vincent Price performances. And underrated one would be Laura. Um, yeah, I went through sort of a tear in sort of like, uh, watching as many as I could of Vincent Price's, and I hadn't seen a lot of them, honestly. But um, Theater of Blood was one that I watched. And if you don't know, the premise of that is Vincent Price plays this actor who um, is presumed dead, and he comes back to take revenge on the critics who downplayed him, especially his Shakespearean performances, and he kills them all in methods from Shakespeare plays. And it's so good. It's so fun. It has so much of like what we talk about in terms of like traditional Vincent Price hamminess. It's so fantastic. It's yeah, that's easily one of my favorite movies of his. Mm-hmm. Also features the the recently late Diana Rigg as his daughter, who's also phenomenal. In that. And uh, there's some other ones here. Like Christian, you were mentioning some of the Roger Corman ones, like Mask of the Red Death, which uh, is pretty timely now. If you were to watch oh it yeah, in recent terms, <laughs> very very prescient right now. He's phenomenal in that. I mean, the set decoration in that is amazing. House of Wax obviously is is amazing. Shutter just put on a ton of Vincent Price's filmography. So, if you're looking to do a deep dive of Vincent Price stuff, like there's a lot of easy to find and really amazing stuff right now. Yeah, I would say along with like Mask of the Red Death, there's also House of Usher, which was his first sort of Poe collaboration with Roger Corman. And we've talked about Roger Corman plenty of times, but uh, if you want sort of the earlier stint of Corman who was directing movies and also had more of at least a style that kind of made up for the lack of budget, those two are definitely great examples of that. I mean, particularly Mask of the Red Death, though I love how that movie uses color with all the various different rooms. Um, and their version of death yes. is one of the more terrifying I've seen in any movie. Um, but there's also enough campy stuff to like keep you sort of like entertained at the same time. Um, another one, probably my favorite sort of Vincent Price performance in anything, in terms of just like how much he does with, despite only having like voiceover technically in this one, is the Abominable Doctor Fives, which is yep. I think just a great example of like sort of the horror macabreness and especially kind of like it takes place in the '70s and it's about this. Um, actor, but has this um, sort of like weird facial scarring and he talks through like vocal recordings that he has and he kills off a bunch of people. feels very sort of prescient to Saw in a lot of ways, in terms of the deaths that he seeks out for his revenge and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. Uh, I I really do like the Domino Doctor Fives. I don't really care for the sequel too much, but I I do think that's a great one. And you guys already said a couple of the ones I would have said, like Theater of Blood, you know, Mask of Red Death. But also The Last Man on Earth, I think, is still the best version of I Am Legend we've had on film. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. The Fly, the original, and the sequel. Uh, Madhouse, which I really, really enjoy, too. I just saw Uh, that recently, too. That one's a lot of fun. It's super fun. It, I would say, like, it's kind of got a predictable mystery plot, and it's kind of hit or miss on the kills, but it's worth it for all the scenes where it's him and Peter Cushing just hanging out. Yeah. I completely agree. So, yeah, I mean, well, dude, the guy's got something like 200, I don't know, 10 or 220 credits. I mean, he's just got a wealth of material out there. I mean, and then, you know, there's the other sort of Poe movies we didn't even mention, you know, The Raven, The Tomb of Lygia. I mean, there's just a ton, a ton of work out there, not to mention his early American, like, you know, where he pop up in just random ass Western here and there, or, you know, the man from uncle or the mod squad, 
or, or I mean, the Ten talking. Commandments. The Ten Commandments, absolutely. And it's like, what the fuck, dude? He's been in so, so much. And thankfully that we will always have a lot of that uh, to sort of go to whenever we sort of get a little itching for some Vincent Price. Yeah, even as a cameo, he is hilarious as the Invisible Man and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. He's the punctuation point that really sells that movie home. <laughs> yeah. The Raven was one that I saw for the first time this year, too. And it's very hammy, Vincent Price, but it's phenomenal because it has... Him, Peter Lorre, Boris Karloff, and a very young Jack Nicholson. Oh, yeah, dude, and another one, too. And I always forget about it because we already mentioned them. You know, Christopher Lee, Purdy Cushing, Vincent Price. Dude, The House of Long Shadows. Oh, yes. It's not a phenomenal film, but to see these sort of titans at the age they were when that movie was made, because I think it was in the 70s, uh, all come together and make this movie, it, it's a pretty sort of really enjoyable and fun time cast world movie as well. Um, and I think one also, just before we head out of the feedback, uh, that I think it's underrated because admittedly House on Hunt Hill is the better William Castle movie, but I have a lot of fun with The Tingler. Oh, I love it. Uh... Which, if you don't know, is basically, it's this movie where Vincent Price is a scientist trying to investigate like these this weird centipede creature that's inside of every person and it can only come out whenever um, they are scared and scream. There's a whole LSD trip sequence, which was very weird for 1959. It has one of my favorite Vincent Price like moments where he's like tripping, and he just says, The walls! The walls! And he's like, looks like the, he, his hands are like stretching out. It's so fun. And it has that great climax involving like, the, the, the tingler is out inside of this theater. Um, but thank you all for that feedback. We also want to thank some other people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used on our show. I'll listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarda for the art for our show as well. And thanks to our loyal Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash gedbpod. If you just have $1 a month to spare, uh, we have all sorts of cool uh, bonus episodes and polls where you can pick stuff that we do for the regular show. Um, look forward to later this October, we'll be having our audio commentary for The Shining, which should be a lot of fun um, out there as our bonus episode for the month. And of course, we got to thank Mr. Christian Alvarez for coming on. Christian, thank you so much for coming on and talking price. Thank you for having me, Tom. This was a lot of fun. This really got me in the mood to just watch a ton of really fun stuff for Halloween and everything. So thank you for inviting me. And did you have anything to plug? You could find me on Letterboxd under Christian Alvarez. Uh, you see the big dorky guy wearing the Evil Dead t-shirt and the Haunted Mansion uh, tiki shirt. You can find me on Letterboxd under Christian Alvarez. You can find me on Instagram uh, with CrazyDiamond0622. I just mainly post about a lot of tiki drinks, records, and movie posters of movies I've been watching. I just did a tally of all of the movies that I've watched uh, since the lockdown started. I'm at 194 movies. Impressive. Most impressive. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Um, and you can find uh, us also doing our Rinky Dink operation, as I mentioned, at Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. Um, that's where you'll find us uh, posting links to the show and um, our questionnaires and everything. Though you can also submit feedback, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And you can find me at my own individual account, at NotTheWho'sTommy, on Twitter and Instagram. And do some writing at marianithomas.wordpress.com, uh, where I do you know post up episodes of the show and I also reviews 
whenever I do, including as of recent. I finally saw Tenant and did a review of it and talked about it, especially my experience going to a really shitty drive-in to see it. Oh. Very interesting, yes. And uh, you can also hear me um, right now um, on one of the recent episodes of uh, Why This Film Podcast with friend of the show Emily Slade. She invited me on to talk about a childhood favorite of mine, and I chose Babe from 1995. Yeah, it's a classic movie. Perfect movie. It is. I, I, I think it is. I think it's a perfect movie. I think you're right. Also, very unexpected for George Miller. Yeah, no kidding. Absolutely. And uh, you can also find me. Yes, we should talk about a new development in terms of the history of Adam Thompson's social media. This has been recurring where you're not a big fan, but uh, you've made a big step. I've made a huge, huge step. Uh, now, I deleted Facebook permanently, deleted my, deactivated my account, deleted the app, all that stuff, because I'm just tired of toxicity and uh, just crazy assholes just doing crazy shit and posting awful things. So I said enough. Uh, so I started a Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and you can find me on either at Atom or Adam. So that's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. Yes, Twitter and Instagram, places where there are no awful people. <laughs> yeah, but you got a little bit more control over it, man. It's easier to unfollow people and not deal with drama on both of those. And with Facebook, if you sort of de- delete somebody or whatever, then they're going to be like, why'd you delete me? Like, go fuck yourself. So I'm just done with it. To hear more of these developments... You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO Network, why not dig into the archives for the first several episodes we did before we joined? If nothing else, if you could rate, review, or share the show around, that helps us and gives us more visibility. Yeah. I mean, do it. God damn it. <laughs> but now, uh, before we leave, we have to do our picking for next week. And, you know, I spoke about the Patreon earlier. Um, there was a poll up for this month where you all chose what horror franchise we cover for the month. And uh, you all decided to choose Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a franchise, which should be very interesting when we have yet to cover. Are you a fan of this franchise, Christian? Um, I'm a fan of the first two. And I remember the remake somewhat favorably. I haven't really dug into, like, oh, say, your Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Or 4. Or <laughs> Oh, yes. Or 7 or 8. <laughs> uh, Texas Chainsaw uh, Massacre 4 with Master Thespian and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. <laughs> Academy Award, two Academy Award winners because Renee Zellweger's also there. <laughs> oh, my God, that's right. Yes, yes, it's an interesting franchise for sure, as we'll delve into next week. But... For the purposes of that topic you all picked, I have two good picks for that. Adam has two bad picks for that. And uh, we've each assigned numbers between 1 and 10 for both our choices. And so usually the other person would pick a number between 1 and 10, and whatever that's closest to gets us our good and bad feature. But when a person like Christian Alvarez is here, they have the ability to choose. So, Christian, for my two good choices, choose a number between 1 and 10. All right. I'm going to go with 8. All right. At number seven, I have um, one that I think got a lot of flack at the time because it was the direct sequel to the first movie, but I think is uh, one of the better sequels of all time in terms of just doing something really different. It is 1986's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Uh, yes, thank you for picking that, and thank you for being a friend. <laughs> <laughs> getting very musical interestingly and then of course at number one my alternate choice was the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre of course because as Christian mentioned those are the two good ones yeah but now Adam Christian has to pick number between one and ten for your bad choices so go on ahead Christian I'll go with number four 
All right. At number three, I have recurring topic of the night, Jeff Burr's Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Okay. Yep. <laughs> you Man, know. you guys are on a roll. You fucking knew it was coming. Probably, yeah, because you're a bit more of a fan of it than I am, I think. I think I'm a bit more of a fan of it than most people. And at number 10, I had uh, Leatherface. So either way, we were getting Leatherface. Which, to be fair, I would say Leatherface is not one of the worser ones, actually. That's the most recent one. and I would... That's comparing solid, solid shits to diarrhea. Yeah, but, you know, that's where we are. That's the expectation we have to, <laughs> we've presently set. <laughs> that's true. But um, we'll get into all that next week. Until then, um, we have to say, good evening, everyone. Yeah, bye. It's <laughs> great fun. <laughs> has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.